Good day to your kingdom family. This is Yuan Portreter with John chapter 8. Before we do the study today, I just want to say thank you for the positive feedback and encouragement that I've received from many of you as we are journeying through the Gospel of John together. Then also a hearty welcome to people who have joined us, and I'm hearing that there are people from other countries that are also listening to these studies, and the Lord bless you wherever you are. Then also I just want to reiterate that I'm not doing this on video as well because of many people that struggle uh, to afford the data in order to play the video clip. So we're just doing this on voice. And then also those of you who have inquired about the studies, um, there are various courses that I've put together. And if you are interested in any of these studies to study the Word of God with us, uh, I will leave an email address at the end of this lecture and you can get in touch with us directly. Now, when we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 7 and chapter 8, there shouldn't really be a chapter division between 7 and 8. It's one thought, it's one letter, it's one script that John wrote at that time. So we only got the, the, the chapter references and scripture references later on for ease of study. But John wrote this as one script. So we're going to flow. We're still at the feast. It's still the Feast of Tabernacles, still the Feast of Booths. And remember, we said yesterday, it was the building of the shelters. It was the pouring of the water and it was the lighting of the lamps. Jesus now is at a significant point because he's going to go up to the Mount of Olives. But before he does this, at the end of chapter seven, the Pharisees are now livid with Jesus. They are so upset with him and with the crowd. Remember, they said at the end of chapter 7, they even spoke a curse over the crowd. They say, this crowd is cursed. I mean, these are the religious people of the day. So they're upset with Jesus, the crowds, and now they're getting upset with Nicodemus because Nicodemus now addresses his fellow Pharisees and he says to them, guys, is it really lawful for us to convict and condemn a man even before we've heard him? And they come down on him like a ton of bricks in verse 52. Then it says in 53, and everybody went to their respective homes. Verse 1 of 8 says, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now there's significance in that. Guys, remember, Jesus didn't ju just do things to pass the time. There was divine design and divine purpose in everything that he did. So verse 2, early in the morning at dawn, he came back into the temple court and the people came to him in crowds and he sat down and he was teaching them. When the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand in the middle of the court. Think about that. Now, remember, there's a crowd of people, and they put the case before him. Teacher, they said. Now, all of a sudden, they're calling him teacher. They didn't do this before. This woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, Moses in the law commanded that such a woman offender should be stoned to death. But what do you say to do with her? What is your sentence? And this they said to try and test him, hoping that they might find a charge on which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. I just want to stop here. We don't know what Jesus wrote. I know there are people who speculate and they bring in some scriptures from the Old Testament and said that this is what he wrote. The scripture doesn't tell us. Let us rest in that. However, when they persisted with their question, he raised himself up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and went on writing on the ground with his finger. They listened to him, and then they began going out, conscience stricken, one by one, from the oldest down to the last one of them, till Jesus was left alone with a woman standing there before him in the center of the court. When Jesus raised himself up, he said to a woman, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she answered, No one. 
And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go on your way and from now on sin no more. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd. And this is where he does the second I am in the Gospel of John. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not be walking in darkness, but will have the light, which is life. Now, I want to bring in the first verse of chapter 8 again. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, what is on the Mount of Olives? It's the Garden of Gethsemane. What are olives used for? When olives are crushed, oil comes out and the oil is used for the lamps. Where are we at now? We're at the place where Jesus says, the second I am, in the Gospel of John, and he says, I am the light of the world. Now, hold on to this. Watch this now. In Leviticus 24, verse 1, and the Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites that they bring to you pure oil from beaten olives for the light of the golden lampstand to cause a lamp to burn continually. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with this? Now outside the veil of the testimony between the holy and the most holy places in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. What was Jesus doing on the Mount of Olives? Why did he go there? Why did he break away from the feast and go there? I personally believe, now guys, remember this is something you can either accept or not accept. It's okay. I just believe that at this time, when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, remember from the Mount of Olives, you have a full view over the city. That Jesus, at this particular point in time, this was a pre-run to what was going to happen later on when he was going to be crushed, when he would say the prayers that would indicate that if the cup could pass from him, if it was possible, but not his will, that the Father's will would be done. And here he is the one, the crushed one, that would be the oil in the lamp <laughs> of this nation whom he loved so much, if they would only get it. What an awesome portion of scripture to know that the light of the world had come unto them. And how sad it is that many of them just didn't see it. You see, in this incident where this woman is before Jesus, he demonstrates that these men are actually such hypocrites, attempting to trick him to use the law. Now remember, the law is loveless. But grace is endless. I want to say that again. The law is loveless, but grace is endless. Where there's a lot of law, there's usually not a lot of love. Where there's a lot of love, you don't need a lot of law. Now, I want you parents to think about that as well. As you are raising your children, when you have a lot of law, where's the love? And I have found that children grow amazingly well in an atmosphere of love and grace. That's why God grows us in Him through love and grace. But that's a sermon for another time. Now, at the same time, Jesus also shows that simply having power that these guys had in the law, such as the authority to execute a guilty, guilty sinner like this woman, according to their law in Deuteronomy 22.22, they had the full right to execute this woman. But the guy was supposed to be there too. When you go read that scripture, you'll find they were also supposed to bring him. There are two parties when there's adultery, not just one. And the choice that they're making at this point to prove her guilty and to execute her is one that is strict according to the law. But instead, Jesus now demonstrates love, grace, and mercy. And he fully applies both the letter and the intent of the law as God intended, because it's righteous judgment. 
So what happened here really was they accused her, but Jesus accepted her. They crushed and they condemned her, but Jesus calmed and comforted her. They dumped her in public. Jesus delivered her and gave her back her dignity. He called her woman. He didn't call her an adulteress. They exposed her, but Jesus embraced her. They frowned upon her, but Jesus forgave her. They humiliated her, but Jesus helped her. They left her, and Jesus loved her. They ridiculed her, but Jesus restored her. They shamed her, but Jesus soothed her. They trampled all over her, but Jesus touched her. You know, every time I think about this, of the amazing love of our Savior, it really, it really touches me so deep in my heart. That year they leave this woman in front of him. And I'm sure that these Pharisees, because of who they were, probably didn't even clothe her properly. properly. They, they're just placed in the middle of this whole arena, this crowd where everybody could look upon her. What humiliation. But Jesus restored her. Now as Jesus continues to teach at this feast, he uses another analogy related to the festival rituals. And it's the burning of lamps. Now, remember the wicks of these lamps were actually, it was made from priestly garments. Now, who is the high priest of our confession? It's Jesus. When you read through Hebrews, especially chapter 7, he's the high priest of our confession. He's the high priest that entered into the Holy of Holies once and for all. Jesus makes the second I am statement and he's highlighting the fact that he is the light of the world. When he, sees he's, when he says he's the light of the world, obviously it sets off such a spark again of debate between Jesus and his critics. And these who so opposed him are now at him again. And the religious leaders of, of, the, of Jerusalem now take him on. And now their stance is based on genealogy. They now refer back to Abraham because they couldn't come right now with going back to Moses. Now they go to Abraham. And so they claim that they are favored by God because of them being children of Abraham. Jesus, however, points out to them that spiritual relationship matters more than family lines. And you are going to hear me talk about this in John 15. I don't want to elaborate on that now, but I want to say this. We need to put an axe to the family tree, our natural family tree, because that's not who we are. John 15 says we are engrafted into the vine who is Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches and we draw our lifeblood from him. And you'll hear me say this in John 15 again, that we are born with designer genes. We have the genes of our father, our heavenly father on the inside of us. Now, since children act like their fathers, those who legitimately follow God should be obedient to his message, just like Abraham was. Now, as this conversation continues between Jesus and the Pharisees, it will become more and more charged and it gets more and more intense. And now his critics will resort to a, quite a low blow that they gave because now they're insulting Jesus and they, in, they include smearing his actual birth. In John 8.41, I don't know if you ever saw this, they say to Jesus now, you are doing the works of your own father. And they're not referring to God. They are not referring to his heavenly father. They are re referring to his earthly father, to Joseph. You see, when Jesus brings out his divinity, they always brought it back to the natural arena. They didn't want to accept that they were staring and looking at the face of God. 
And they said to him, we are not illegitimate children. In a sense, they were saying, we are not illegitimate children like you are, born out of fornication. We have one father, even God. And they, they again say to Jesus in 48, you are insane. In verse 48, they also say again to him that you have a demon and that you are under the power of an evil spirit. What an accusation to make against Jesus. But Jesus now turns the whole thing around in verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to practice the lusts and gratify the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a falsehood, he speaks what is natural to him, for he is a liar himself and he's the father of lies and all of that is false. And all that is false. Therefore, these men didn't even actually know God. They had the law, they had all the scripts, they had all the, the scrolls, but they didn't know God. How many people who have Bibles in their homes and they open the scriptures and they still don't get to know him because they don't know the author of the scriptures? You see, they don't want to know God since the truth is something that they actually cannot bear to hear because he who was the actual truth, the water of life, the light of the world, the truth was standing right there in front of them and they didn't recognize him. In verse 43, he says, why do you misunderstand what I say? It is because you are unable to hear what I'm saying. You cannot bear to listen to my message because you are, you are shut up to my teachings. Your ears are shut to my teachings. Jesus responds, they started the thing with Abraham. Jesus continues with it. And he says that he has first-hand knowledge of Abraham's response to his own ministry in John 8.56. You see, because Jesus knew at this particular point in time, when they brought up Abraham, that he had exactly the point to bring across to them. And in 56, it says, Your forefather Abraham was extremely happy at the hope and prospect of seeing my day, my incarnation. And he saw it and he was delighted. We need to understand that the Old Testament patriarchs, the Old Testament, even the Old Testament prophets, they had a glimpse of what was to come. And they would have loved to have experienced it with us the way that we are experiencing the ever-present Holy Spirit on the inside of us, who is our advocate, our helper, our counselor, um, the one that's always there in our point of need. They only saw a glimpse of it. And it says here that Abraham rejoiced when he saw, when God revealed it to him, Jesus' day when Jesus was going to be on the earth. I mean, how awesome is this? And then he makes the statement again in John 58. Uh, 8.58, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. The original Greek text there says, before Abraham sprang into existence, I am. And he uses the divine title again from Exodus 3.14. This time, the Pharisees are so <laughs> upset is not even the word. They are now over the top angry at Jesus. It says, and they picked up stones to stone him. Once again, his enemies are trying to unsuccessfully kill him. Why? Because it wasn't yet his time. As we looked at the second I am of Jesus now in John chapter 8, I want to encourage you today to say the I am will draw near to you in what you need him to be for you and in your situation today. So I want to pray this prayer for us. Heavenly Father, 
we come before you today in the mighty name of Jesus. And Jesus, I personally today want to thank you for your love, grace, and mercy that you showed that woman that was brought right into the midst of this feast where she was accused and you excused her. Why? Because you were the representation of the kingdom of God in the earth at that particular point in time. We thank you that you were the truth and your truth spoke louder than the lies that the enemy brought against this woman. We thank you, Jesus, that you spoke and you released her and your word set this woman free forever. We thank you that you gave her a new lease on life. And Father, right now as I'm praying this, and there are people listening to this and they feel that they've gone too far for Jesus, they've gone too far to be forgiven, then I want to say today in this prayer that Jesus is a greater Savior than you can ever be a sinner. His blood has washed you clean from all sin in all its forms and manifestations, past, present, and future. And you stand holy and without blame before God in love elect as the elect of God. God doesn't just love you. He's madly in love with you. And let His light today shine in your heart to bring you light and life, even during a dark time in this world, that your light on the inside will shine in this time and that you will take your candle and go light your world. God bless you. Amen.